The Grow Kinder podcast features conversations with thought leaders in education, business, tech, and the arts, who all share one thing in common, a dedication to growing kinder in their work and lives, and helping others do the same. Brought to you by Committee for Children. Today's guest is Mandy Manning, National Teacher of the Year. Living in Spokane, Washington, she teaches at Joel E. Ferris High School in the Newcomer Center, a specialized English development program for new immigrant and refugee students. Mandy is the first teacher her students have after they come to the United States. We asked her about creating a safe classroom, teacher self-care, and her view on the current education system. We spend a lot of time talking about the more technical parts of teaching, like the content and how you teach it and assessing and formative and summative and all of these things. And we forget that that's not the main part of teaching. Here are your hosts, Mia and Andrea. Hello, Mandy. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. I'm Andrea. And I'm Mia. And we're really happy to be talking to you today. Could we just start by having you introduce yourself? So I'm Mandy Manning. I'm the 2018 National Teacher of the Year and the 2018 Washington State Teacher of the Year. I teach in Spokane, Washington at Joel E. Ferris High School in the Newcomer Center. And the Newcomer Center is a specialized English language development program for brand new immigrant and refugee students to our nation. So my classroom is the first classroom they have ever attended since coming to the United States. And so my job is to, of course, teach foundational language, but more importantly, I'm an ambassador for U.S. culture, and my primary role is to ease that transition that all of them are experiencing to living and studying in the United States. Well, congratulations on being named Teacher of the Year and for doing that really important work. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little about your background and what led you into this area of teaching. I didn't intend to become a teacher. My undergraduate degree is in filmmaking. And uh, after I was finished with film school, I realized that that my personality really didn't fit the film industry very well. And so I was searching for something else to do. And one of my friends, he was a paraeducator in a special education classroom. And he encouraged me to apply. He said that there was a position open, and he felt that I would be well-suited to that. So I applied, and I started working in a special education classroom, and it was extremely rewarding. And then I applied to uh, and volunteered for the United States Peace Corps, and I did that for two years in Armenia, and I taught English. And when I came back to the United States, I moved to Texas, and I got a job teaching Uh, And I've been now teaching for, this would have been my 20th year in the classroom. I only say would have because I'm in my role as national teacher of the year. I've had to step outside the classroom for this year. So previous to coming to Spokane, I taught general education subjects. I taught English language arts. I taught journalism, drama, speech and debate, communications. But once I came to Spokane, I got in touch with another educator. Her name was Tori Rouse, and she's a very experienced educator in the English language development department here in Spokane. And we found out that we had Peace Corps in common because she had also served in the Peace Corps. And she encouraged me to apply to the English language development program. She said that the skills that we learn in the Peace Corps are particularly Um, good for working with English language learners and refugee and immigrant students. And so I applied. And uh, 10 years later, I'm still working with English language learners. And I love every single minute. Mandy, that's an incredible story of of your path to your current position. Since you have had these different experiences, uh, teaching in special ed, teaching in general ed, um, and teaching English language learner populations, um, can you talk a little bit about the the differences that you find in your role? For example, like, do you need to bring different sets of skills to your work when you have different kinds of students? Well, I think that the most essential skill is the ability to connect with students, and that doesn't change. The most important piece of being an educator is creating an environment in which children feel that they matter, that they are welcome, that they are heard and seen, and that they belong. And an educator who can create that kind of environment is also at the same time 
creating an environment in where in which all students can learn, regardless of those uh, different ability levels or skills, because it creates a it creates an environment in which you're looking for a student's assets instead of thinking about you know what they're not coming in with. You're thinking about what they are coming with with what this their strengths, what are their talents, what do they have to offer, and then building from there. That really uh, resonates with me. I I actually grew up in um, what was considered a refugee city in Kentucky. And we had a lot of students from varied backgrounds. And it was very clear as a student kind of coming along with them that their needs weren't being met in many different ways. How do you rely on some of these skills at making connections and relationships to also foster that within the kids themselves to help them kind of connect with each other and to build a community and um, create some shared experiences so that they feel more supported within their peer group. That is such an important piece of building community in the classroom, because I think sometimes we forget that um, people really have to be taught how to connect with one another. We can't just assume that kids automatically understand how to communicate effectively or how to interact in a group or how to uh, ask questions or be intentional or be active listeners. We, we sometimes can assume that that's going to automatically happen, but it doesn't. And, and more and more, because kids are not practicing those skills as much, we are having to be even more intentional every day in our classrooms to help them develop those, um, those characteristics. Uh, so in my classroom, it's really important to me that we are a community within our classroom, that, and then that community extends beyond our classroom to the school, and then that even extends beyond into the community around us. And so that means being very intentional in creating opportunities for the kids to communicate with one another, share who they are, and at the same time learn about their classmates. So it's really important in every single Uh, lesson or unit or project that we make some sort of a cultural connection so that kids can learn about each other. And it uh, it has to be intentional. And what that means is it can't just be something where the kids are presenting and everybody's waiting their turn to present. It has to be an actual interaction where kids are engaged with the with the whatever content and then also engage with one another. So there's they're sharing, but they're also actively listening. And um, a lot of times we talk about the map making project that I do in my classroom in which kids create a map of their previous school or community. And then they share that with the class so that we can also all see what that looks like for them before they came to the United States. And then we do the same thing for here. Beyond our classroom, we get our classes together. So I'll work with another another teacher to bring their class into our class and take our class into their class because that gives my students exposure to uh, people born here who have, you know, speak English natively. Um, and then it also gives those students exposure to these brand new students in their community and we all know that when you actually have interaction and engage and meet people face to face, you're more likely to be open and welcoming to their difference. Well, Mandy, that that sounds like an incredible project. I'm um, as someone who has been uh, recognized as Teacher of the Year. We know you have made a difference in countless students' lives. Uh, we were mentioning before that a lot of us here are teachers, and I think we can all think of. You know, that one or two students that have really made an impact on us as educators. Can you describe um, a situation or a a student without, you know, being specifically saying whom that has had a really profound impact on you? Well, I have so many Um, because I, I really believe that teaching is more of a gift exchange. So every single year I have one or two or three or 15 kids who really make an impact on on me because they challenge me to be a better teacher. They challenge me to really be uh, genuinely interested in who they are and genuinely interested in seeking their strengths and talents and seeing who they are and determining what they need and helping to create an environment that in which they can be successful. 
I was just going to break in for a second, Mandy. It really resonates with us when you say something like, you know, that's a gift exchange. I think that's a great way to, to reframe that relationship. Are there things you do to express gratitude for what your students are, are giving you? Are there things like tips around how you, um, as an educator, kind of come into the classroom and show those students how much you value their presence and what they're giving back? Well, every time a student does something that challenges me, that makes me reassess what I'm doing in the classroom, I always make sure to let them know. Like I say things, um, if they ask me a question that's particularly challenging, I'll say, I'm so glad that you asked me that question because it makes me, it helps me to think about things in a different way and here's how. Or if they show me something, it's just those kinds of little things. It doesn't have to be a big show or a big uh, anything. It can just be in that moment. You're not signing thank you cards all night. <laughs> yeah. It just can be like, hey, you know what? You helped me to see the world in a different way just now. Thank you. Thank you for, for giving me that gift. You know, Mandy, one of the things that's really striking me is how intentional you are. That takes a lot of energy, right? I mean, it's it takes a lot of energy to be a teacher. And um, and when you're teaching special populations, it can often take even more energy. What do you do for your own self-care? That's such a good question because I'm so terrible at it. <laughs> it's really... Um, funny because my husband one time when I was te- when I first started teaching in Spokane I'd met my husband we weren't married yet and he was more skilled at a an editing program because at the time I was teaching part-time English language learners and part-time video productions and so I asked him if he would come in and do a workshop with the kids and so he came in and he did one day of instruction and at the end of the day he was so tired and he goes <laughs> I don't know how you do this every single day. Yeah. He goes how do you how can you be present like that all the time? That's so difficult cuz there's never a time when you're an educator where you can just shut off. Oh that's right. So you have to be there and you have to be present. So it is so important that we um take care of ourselves and when I do do that for myself, I, I read. I love to read um, horror horror books. So I uh, take time each. I try to read every night at least a chapter of a book. That sounds really relaxing. <laughs> it is. I love. I do it right before bed, um, and and I also write stories. And so I try. I'm not very successful at it, but I try to give myself thirty minutes a day to just write because I know when I write I don't think about anything but my story and that's really what we need we need time when we're not thinking about all of the things that are happening in our classroom what do you take back from your classroom experience or or try to leave in the classroom um, I'm sure there's lessons that you bring home um, especially as a parent and are there things that you're very intentional about leaving in the classroom? Well, yes. If, if there's something that was really happened that is particularly difficult, any situation where you might have encountered a, maybe abuse or, or maybe there was a terrible, terrible fight or you know of someone who's in um, trouble with, with the law or something like that, I try not to talk about those things you know, around the dinner table because I don't need to bring that stress onto my family. Um, and then, like, in terms of, it's funny, though, because there are things that I bring home that I think my family wouldn't like me to bring home. <laughs> because <laughs> having worked with uh, teenagers for 20 years, I have um, some knowledge about how teenagers are. And I happen to have two teenagers at home right now. And they would prefer that I not have some of that knowledge about teenagers <laughs> because I can always tell when they're maybe not being so honest. I'm always like, hmm, let's explore your motivation there. And they're oh, like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> Mia, Mia's nodding. <laughs> Mia has obviously had some similar experiences. Oh, yeah. Well, well, when my son was in middle school and high school and we were working on a middle school program here and, you know, I'd bring something into the conversation about, you know, talking about your feelings. And he'll be like, stop talking about work with me. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, and, and then but the really tricky part is when they turn it back around on you. 
Oh. Yeah. Yeah. When, like, when he'd start using the voice of, like, mom, mom, calm down. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love it. Um, So, Mandy, I have a a question, you know, talking about bringing things home to your family. Um, We also heard that you, one of the things that you do is visit your students at home and you you get to know their families. And that's, uh, I mean, that's super unusual for an educator to do. And can you talk a little bit about like how you got started doing that and sort of how you navigate that when, you know, uh, it could be kind of a tricky thing for some people? First of all, I just want to say that visiting my students' homes has been invaluable. It's been one of the best changes I've made in my practice in the last um, five years because it really gives me insight into what my kids are coming to my classroom, like, you know, some of the the things that they're coming to my classroom with. Uh, And it also gives me such an appreciation for all families because I think sometimes as in society, we can make a lot of assumptions based on what we believe we know about a family. But when you're really there at their house and you see them interacting and you see the unconditional love uh, that that parents have for their children, it's really incredible to experience. So a few uh, about five years ago, I went to a conference and it was the Washington Association for Bilingual Educators Conference. And I sat in on a session where they were talking about home visits. And I was just sitting there thinking, I, I could do that. I could go to my kids' houses. That would make it this this is this is the key piece that we're missing in trying to engage our families. And so I just uh, went back to school right after that, and I talked to the bilingual specialist that I work with, my teaching partner, and I told her, I said, hey, I think, um, I think we should start visiting their students' families. And she was right on it right away. She was like, cool, let's do this. And so it, I, I'm a little bit of a rebellious teacher, so I didn't necessarily in the beginning ask permission to do this. <laughs> I just started to do it. I set it up with the kids. I didn't keep it a secret or anything like that because the first time that I did it, I worked with um, the district interpreters to set up the visits. I do it a little different now, but at the time, that's how I did it. And uh, just the bilingual specialists and I went. So we didn't have any interpretation when we go to the uh, homes. And I still don't. I still don't take an interpreter with me to go to the homes. I just go on my own time with... um, someone else, usually the biling, my teaching partner. I budget the time so that I can tell them I, I can only stay for this long because sometimes they'll want me to stay for hours. Oh, right. Stay for dinner. <laughs> yeah. So we show up and um, sometimes it's kind of like when new students come into my classroom, I just have to, you know, meet them where they are. Well, the, going to the students' houses is the same thing. So I just take cues from them and whatever they want to do. So there's some houses where I go and we say hello and um, and we end up just kind of sitting there for about 10 or 15 minutes staring at each other. Maybe we'll have some water and some grapes or whatever. And then um, I tell them how much I like their child and I meet the family members and then I, I leave because there's just that's kind of that way that that one goes. And then another one I'll go to and they're so excited that I'm there and they call all the family members to come back home if they're not there. You know, they uh, start to cook a big meal. And um, so sometimes we have a big, you know, 45 minute uh, meal together. Right. It's not about making it this official visit. It's about... Um, building a relationship and meeting people and helping them to understand that I truly love their kids and want their children to be successful. And I want us to work together to ensure that happens. Uh, And so it starts that communication between us. And so while I'm only going to be the student's teacher for a semester to a year, it, it has shown that they are more likely even after me to be more active in reaching out to educators on behalf of their kids or when they have concerns. And that's really the key piece. It's really effective in communicating 
that whole thing of that, that kids matter, that you see them, that you hear them, that you care about them. It seems like there's a real uh, theme, which is not surprising, around connection and relationship um, in your work. And do you explicitly go through social emotional skill building with your students? Do you do you take that on as part of your work as well as they move through your class? We do. We we have some kind of different issues that can can happen sometimes in our classroom that you might not necessarily uh, see happen in another classroom. Sometimes we have some uh, situation where a person's family would prefer they not, if it's a girl, that they not work with a boy. Mm-hmm. And so then we have to help them navigate that because after they leave the newcomer center, they're they're likely going to have to. They're not going to really have a choice. We do help them navigate that uh, those kinds of situations. Uh, plus, they need to have some of those skills moving out of the center because the center really provides such a strong sense of community and family, and it's really safe and secure for the kids. So once they move out of the newcomer center, uh, that's not that it's gone because they can always come back and visit, and they also still have their English language development classes, but it's a lot less and so we have to help them manage some of those emotions. But it's really more around navigating um, culture shock or uh, things like that. When you, you did, Mandy, mention that that a lot of times, um, additionally, that there is uh, some work to do around uh, trauma and post-traumatic stress. Um, do you have any particular practices or activities or or routines even that that you regularly use with the kids some of the things two of the main things we do is um, the first one is we allow, always allow time so if kids are having difficulties like they're having a very emotional day or they uh, just want to cry a little bit or the weight of it all is just on them that day. We, we allow them time to really experience those emotions and we just let them do it. It's kind of like that cartoon where the person just sits next to the other person in the rain instead of trying to fix the problem. So we, we sit alongside them as they're going through that. Uh, and then the other thing that we, we do is a lot of them have come through a journey that was very difficult And so it can lead to negative feelings about where they come from. But the thing is, is that we all love our homes, right? We all love where we come from. We have connections there. uh, And we'll never be able to forget it and we'll always feel uh, a pull to that. And so one of the things that we do in the Newcomer Center is we try to help the kids talk about where they come from in a very positive way. So we'll remember a favorite place or we'll have them talk about uh, maybe their bedroom or, or wherever, whatever is a positive thing for them to be able to relive and experience so that as they're going through all of that and um, processing that journey and that trauma of that journey, they're also thinking about the good things about where they came from so that they can have pride and they can... Um, have positive feelings too. Wow, that's um, it. Sounds like very intense work, and it sounds like you care a lot about each and every student. And I'm sure that in some ways it's been hard for you to be uh, away for this this year. I'm curious what opportunities have come up for you um, as a national teacher of the year. Uh, you know, in your role as an advocate for other educators that you wouldn't have previously had. So what have you gotten to do this year that has been exciting and rewarding? Well, one of the first things that I got to do was speak at an Educators Rising conference. And Educators Rising is uh, kind of the new version of Future Teachers of America. Hmm. And so it's all of these young people who want to be teachers. And I got to go to their conference and speak to them And it was so exciting because we spend a lot of time talking about the more technical parts of teaching, like the content and how you teach it and assessing and formative and summative and all of these things. And we forget that that's not the main part of teaching. The main part of teaching is 
connecting with kids and and believing in them and their potential and helping them to believe in themselves. And so it was really awesome to be in this room of all of these kids who want to be teachers who really seemed to understand that. They had this compassion and this excitement for connecting with kids that was just really exciting. Um, And so I, I enjoyed that. And then I also have had several opportunities to speak in front of groups of um, policymakers and uh, decision makers. So at like the state board uh, level or and the school board level and also the parent level. So these people who are doing who are leading these different um, groups that are very impactful of the policies in our classrooms. And so I've had a chance to stand in front of them and talk about how our, our education system currently functions to serve the system. And we need it not to serve a system. We need the system to serve students because that's what our goal is, is to make a better and more humane and safer and beautiful connected society through building up these young people all young people. And so we need a system that actually serves all kids because our current system struggles with that. Uh, I recently, as the National Teacher of the Year, started a project called Teachers Against Child Detention, and it specifically addresses the atrocity of child detention that is happening across our nation right now. It focuses on the fact that all children deserve a quality education, all children have endless potential and deserve to reach that potential, and all children deserve to be free. So that's the major thing that I've been working on right now, and we're going to culminate in a teach-in at the Tornillo Detention Center in Texas in February. Wow, that is uh, an amazing um, amount of work that you're doing and also um, so critical during this time. Currently, I have a platform, and educators don't always have a platform. And so I'm, I'm really trying to use that platform for good and to make really positive change. And I believe that as educators, we really do work on behalf of every single kid. Um, and right now, we have several kids who aren't having access to quality education, who, who don't have freedom of movement, who are away from their families, um, and that doesn't help them to achieve their potential. It actually diminishes their potential every single day that they are um, kept locked away. So that's been very exciting to actually have a platform in which I can um, speak out and possibly help to make positive change for kids. So Mandy, when people ask you, you know, what can I do? Let's say I'm an educator, maybe, you know, early on in my career, I guess a couple of things. What is both your ask of educators and sort of what is your advice to educators? My ask is that every educator needs to be open to every single kid that comes into their room and to be seeking those assets, those strengths that they're bringing with them and then building from there. Oftentimes we forget that we play a role in the interactions in our classroom. So a kid comes in and is having a a bad day and so they fight with us, right? We always are starting, we always think, well, well, what was it in that kid's situation that made the kid do that? Well, we also should be thinking about ourselves. What in my own life experience, based on how I grew up and what, how I lived, impacted that interaction as well? Because we do, we bring biases and we bring um, assumptions with us just simply based on how we were raised or the life that we're living. And it's important that we're able to keep that in check so that we are open to different different kids that come into our classroom. So I'd ask that. I'd ask that educators seek experiences that challenge them to understand their own background and set aside their own biases and assumptions and perceptions in order to be open to all the kids in their classroom and to believe that every kid, every single kid has endless potential. Um, and then... My advice 
for educators, it's kind of attached to that ask, is to uh, really examine how you feel about kids. Because I'm not even the one who said this first, but students learn from teachers that they like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not about being the cool teacher or being the teacher, you know, that lets them do whatever they want, because that's not what this is. The, it's about being that teacher who truly cares about every single kid. And so when you walk into your classroom, you should be interested in every single kid who walks in your door. And if you're not, I think that you should assess why. Because the only way every kid in the classroom gets their needs met and is able to learn is when you believe every kid can. Yeah, that is, that's incredible advice. And, you know, for, for those who take that time then and think, oh, gosh, I think that I am falling short of that. Are there readings that you would suggest people do or reflections or coursework or like what if what if someone really did that self-examination and felt, oh, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm not in that place, but I don't but I but I love this profession. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so much is uh, really based around this whole idea of of privilege. It, it really is like it's about how, how we grew up and who we are really shapes how we perceive the world. And that also impacts how we perceive other people in the world. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, that also impacts how we interact with students in our classrooms. And sometimes we're not even conscious of that. So my suggestion in terms of homework is to really look for books and things that will help you to understand where you come from and how that impacts how you perceive the world so that you can then Uh, Seek experiences that will challenge your perceptions and broaden your perspectives. Um, So works by um, Robin DiAngelo, like White Fragility. There are so many books about, oh, I don't have any titles besides that one right off the top of my head. Um, Another great book that is is super engaging but also um, challenges you in that way is called It Won't Be Easy by Tom Rademacher. And it's a love letter to teaching. And it really digs into some of those um, situations that happen in school. It's it's kind of a, it's small, it's shorter stories about actual classroom experiences. Um, and so that's a really good one. And that will also, you know, ignite your passion again, too. Thanks for that. Um I, you know, you were talking about the educators that you remember, the the ones that made a difference. And is there someone like that for you where you're like, oh, that's a template for me. That's someone I want to be like or who really uh, did that for you and showed you that they cared in that way? Yes. The one who made hands down the most um, impact on me was Mrs. Baker. She was my seventh grade English teacher. And I had just moved to California from Washington State, and it was in Carmichael, California, which is right there by Sacramento, and I didn't know anybody. I was starting junior high school, um, so it's already a tumultuous time, and I you know, didn't have any friends, didn't know anything about the community. I'd spent the entire summer just alone in my house reading books, so it was a huge transition, and I walked into Mrs. Baker's classroom, and it was like walking into warm sunshine. She made me feel welcome from the moment I walked in. I knew that she believed in me, that she cared about me, that she saw me, uh, and she truly changed the trajectory of my life because she made me see myself in a different way than I had ever seen myself and I did diff- I did new things because of her classroom. I, I got to do mock trial, um, just all kinds of things, uh, just simply because she believed in me. Have you ever have you reached out to Mrs. Baker since? I tried to, but she actually passed away. Oh, I'm sorry that you weren't able to connect with her. I'm sure she would be really Very excited proud. and proud. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would love to actually circle back on something that you mentioned before about systems changes. 
I would like to know just a little bit more about, you know, what what are the kinds of things that specifically you're advocating for? If there were like a top three, uh, you know, systems change um, issues that, that you are advocating for, what would those be? Every single time any decision maker, whether it's at the school level, the district level, the state level or the federal level, educators need to be at the table and not just to tell our stories, uh, because I know that we are often asked to come to tell our stories because those are very validating. But we need to be invited to actually participate, to, to be involved in the process of making policies because we're the ones, us and the students are the ones who are impacted the most by policies, yet we are um, consulted the least. And so educators need to be at the table to actually do the work. And I would also say that students also need to be consulted um, because we do need to be addressing uh, the changes in our society and how those actually impact what we do in the classroom because we we do need to change some of the things because there are elements of society that are have drastically changed like right. the cell phones and things like that right. you know smartphones um yet we're still asking kids to memorize dates and names and things like that so we really shouldn't be thinking how does technology fit into our system but rather how does technology change our system um another thing uh that i would say People who are making decisions about our schools need to actually come into our schools. They need to be visiting schools and not with an agenda. They need to be thinking of it as a a learning opportunity to sit down and talk to teachers, talk to students, see what actually happens in the school building and how the policies that they create are actually being played out. Um, and, And then we really should be addressing what school is for like what do we want kids to come out of school able to do or be or or know do we want them to have a breadth of knowledge of all subjects where they have an inch deep knowledge of of you know everything under the sun or do we want them to come out as human beings who can interact and communicate with one another and collaborate and um, work effectively to solve problems. Those, Because those are very different things. And so we really need to think about what are we doing and what are we, le- what, what, what kind of society are we creating with the schools that we have? Uh, and then one other thing, just because I, I, I have to say this, that we need to be thinking of schools as community centers. And I think that this would be something that, that would resonate with you guys because you're so, you're, you know, you're, your work is so focused on social-emotional learning. Well, we really have come to a place in society where we have to have wraparound services within our schools. So that means community partners. That means um, having clinics in our schools and uh, you know, health clinics and, and doing all of these things so that, so that students have everything that they need not just in terms of learning, but in terms of their basic needs. Because that then will be able to help kids to reach their full potential because they'll have everything that they need. Um, Plus, the best school for a student should be right there in their neighborhood. They shouldn't have to travel. Because without full access for everyone, there is no equity. What do you really want for the kids you teach? Like, what is your biggest wish for those students? I want them to... 100% believe in their potential and that they can achieve whatever success or dream that they have in life. Um, And I want them to also understand that whatever that dream is, has value. I want every student to feel like they matter and that they belong. That's what I want. I would hope that's what everyone wants, that, that children believe in themselves and that they have the opportunity to become who they were meant to be. And so to that end, Mandy, do you think um, that there's something in teacher prep that needs changing or enhancing to help educators be prepared for that? Sometimes uh, our teacher prep programs really focus on how do we teach content? 
and they focus on building lesson plans and creating projects, but they don't always teach educators how to monitor and adjust. And I believe that directly leads to educators having a very difficult time when they first enter a classroom because they have this expectation that if they create a project or a beautiful lesson plan, it will go smoothly, kids will be engaged, and it will be wonderful. What we really need to be teaching them is you're going to create a project or a lesson plan. It's going to work for about five minutes, and then you're going to have to monitor how kids are going, and then you're going to have to adjust from there. So make sure that your lesson plans have enough flexibility that you can adjust to the needs of your students. Great. There's also, I, you know, I'm also hearing this kind of uh, implicit in what you're saying, being able to, that flexibility, being able to kind of read the room, um, it speaks to educators' own social-emotional competencies. Yes. How important, how important is that in teacher prep? I mean, do you think there should be a space for that and really thinking about your own social-emotional health and yes. how you're working on that? We think about that like we're all working on that every day and there's and there's always room for improvement. You never you're never perfect at that. You're always going to need to, um, you know, kind of work in, in areas of empathy and problem solving communication. Um, how do you see that fitting into teacher prep in a more robust way, if at all? Or teacher development or teacher development. We definitely need to, to work on that. And and it is I th- you're so right that um, any of this like self-reflective work is ongoing. It's constant. You never, it's never done. And so we, we do have to help people, um, you know, really work on their own social emotional learning um, and where they are and who, and who they are and how they grew up and all of that, that impacts, you know, how you interact with other people. Cause I think that's the th- piece that we don't understand is that everything about who we are impacts how we interact with other people and there's an equal like give and take in that situation so the other person is bringing all of that with them as well and we're bringing ours and that impacts how we interact with one another so it would be beneficial if we spent time really addressing who we were who we are and how that impacts how we move through the world and how we interact with other people so that is essential. Um, and then on top of that, understanding that this is also the work we have to do with students. And especially when you very first have the kids in the classroom for those first few weeks of school, you need to be spending time on relationship building. The content will come if the community is built. Do you have an example of this? I mean, either in, in your work or in your personal life uh, for yourself, a sort of aha moment where you had to rethink and and adjust and, um, you know, a kind of moment of self-awareness? It happens to me all the time. But um, one that really stands out happened my first year of teaching. This moment is burned into my memory for the rest of my life. And it really impacts how I teach now. So we were, I was teaching theater at the time and I, I have no idea what we were doing, but there were these two boys who were particularly rambunctious. And on this day, they were especially challenging. And I looked at one of the kids and I was so frustrated and I really wasn't prepared for managing a class anyway or interacting with kids because I was a brand new teacher who hadn't done a teacher preparation program. Uh, And so I just looked at this kid and we'd spent all this time building this safe community where we all felt like a family. And I said to him, if you would just stop acting like an idiot, the class would be great. And it was like the worst moment of my teaching career because the air went out of the room. I looked at this kid and his face was just, it had fallen and It didn't, like, nothing else mattered after that. I had called the kid an idiot, even though, you know, I could go on and on about how, oh, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. That's not what I meant. I just was frustrated. But it doesn't matter because the impact of what I said was so great. It totally ruined this kid's uh, feeling of safety and security in my classroom. And it was literally never the same again with that kid, no matter what I did, because I had called him an idiot and I couldn't take that back. 
And so I learned so much from that. Our messages matter, and we have to be very careful what we say to kids because they will be what we tell them they are. Oh, that's a little bit heartbreaking. <laughs> I think we're all yeah. uh, feeling for you and for the the child in that moment. And have all had, like, those that of us who've been of teachers yeah. have had those moments of weakness. And also you know, parents. Of, not, oh, you sure. Know, it's just, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have a very, a young daughter who's quite challenging and strong-willed. That's the, <laughs> that's the word we use. And she, I um, threatened to take away books from her. <laughs> I was like, I will remove, I'm going to take your books away. You will get no books today. So, and later I thought, what was I doing? What was I thinking by punishing, like by taking away this thing that is so good for her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it also punishes me because that's such a good time to have with her and, and a relationship building time. And so I think we all have those those moments where you just look back and you're like, oh, man, I really was not my best self right then. Right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think that there's certainly a a continuum, like for, for people who have more patience than others. And I do think that sometimes, you know, teaching is a really challenging profession. And sometimes those moments can really loom large, right, and stand out. Yes. I sometimes think that teachers, you know, can get a bad rap. And I guess I'm curious as to what you would like people to know about teachers and the teaching profession. I I just want people to know that we really do care about kids and we take everything home with us all the time. And I'm not talking about the grading or any of that. I'm talking about the actual, we worry about the kids every moment where we're, we're thinking about how, what, what positive impact we can have and how we can help each kid, you know, even just be, you know, just be. And I, I wish people understood that. And, and that we are professional. We're professionals. We are constantly continuing our education. We're constantly learning new things and seeking new knowledge so that we can be better for kids. Um, and so we are experts and we're professionals and we should be treated as such. We're not only experts and professionals, but we also have this amazing compassion for kids. So, you know, we should be taken really, 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 really seriously. Yeah, I think, you know, we have seen that a lot in our work. Our our organization, as you know, is really focused on building a kinder world through social emotional learning. And, and the main way we do that is really working with educators. I mean, we have um, a, a lot of designs on expanding beyond that. We do policy work, but our work with educators is so near and dear to us. And talking about kindness as a concept and, and how that relates to your life, I wonder if you could tell us about an act of kindness that you've witnessed or took part in recently. Oh, so I was in a diner in Buffalo, New York, and we had walked through the entire restaurant looking looking for, I don't know what we were looking for, but then we ended up um, backing up and coming back through. And both times I saw this um, man with his daughter sitting at a table, and she was working on some sort of a schoolwork thing, and he was there, and he was so gentle with her and I I just I was like my heart was touched and it almost started to make me cry that how he was being such an amazing father he was um, helping her with her work and building her up at the same time and just making her feel seen and heard and cared for by her dad and it's not often a, something that we see. We don't always see outwardly this kind of tender, caring dad, right? And so, you know, and as they left, um, I thought I'd miss them, but then it turned out that they had just gone to the bathroom. And, and they came back out, and I just went up to him, and I was like, I'm a teacher, and I just want you to know how thankful I am that you're such an amazing dad for your daughter. And then he proceeded to tell me about his, you know, uh, he had a couple of other kids and he was telling me about them. And it was just such an amazing moment to witness that just beautiful parenting. I loved it. 
that probably made him feel really great, you know, because in a lot of ways, it's, I mean, it's the most rewarding job, like teaching, you know, being a parent. Um, and it's also can feel really thankless, you know, and when people notice, I think it, it can give you a little lift. And, you know, uh, just hearing that story makes me think about the difference, you know, a small act of kindness can can make. Are there ways in which you sort of take that concept and incorporate that into your teaching or or even suggestions for people listening about how, if they're looking to sort of bring more kindness into their lives, which are seeming now so busy and stressful and there's just, there's a lot going on for everyone, right? Yeah. What do you think is a way that educators or even parents can help spread more kindness? Um, I think that that is a, a little bit of a misconception that it takes time because it doesn't take that much time. It's just about if you think something nice, you should say it. Yeah, nice and simple. Perfect, easy enough, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think um, that's a good call out that it doesn't take that much yeah. time. It's like when we were talking earlier about the gifts that we get from our kids and um, how do we tell them? Well, we just tell them. We just tell them. Yeah, it feels like almost a relief to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's a, a lovely way to put it. Um, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Is there anything that we've forgotten? Anything we should have asked you or anything you just want to share? I don't think so. It's just been such a pleasure. What a nice conversation. Thanks for being with us on our podcast. It's just amazing to, to get National Teacher of the Year and we're thankful for all the work you do on behalf of your students. Well, my pleasure. Every day. Thanks, Mandy. Thank you. Thank you. That was Mandy Manning, National Teacher of the Year. If you'd like to learn more about Mandy, visit mandymanning.com or follow her on social media. Also, be sure to check out teachersagainstchilddetention.org. All of the links can be found at growkinderpodcast.org. Hear more episodes at growkinderpodcast.org and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher.